Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. I'm so glad to be here. It's just great to be in the house of the Lord. It's, it's interesting, the drummer today, his name is Mark. Uh, most of you know him, and he's a fan of, uh, what do they call it, graphic literature? It's uh, comics are called graphic literature now, right? And uh, and boy, I tell you what, I, I, I'm a fan, like every other red-blooded American, of Superman. You know, Superman is kind of like... Uh, <laughs> He's just great. I mean, Superman is perfect in so many ways, and uh, wow, uh, he's so good. He's such a good person, Superman, and uh, and he always seems to put others first, and uh, and he always is rescuing people and not thinking of himself. And wow, Superman is something else. I, I think that we all can agree that Superman's pretty cool. Uh, you know, truth, justice, and the American way. <laughs> and so I, I'm sure that you're all fans. I, my dad was a fan of Superman. I remember when the Superman movie came out, I was a kid with Christopher Reeve, and uh, my dad just loved that movie, and he would, uh, he loved the part where Superman caught Lois Lane falling from a, a building, and, and he said, don't worry, I have you. And, and she said, yeah, well, who's got you? I love that. That's a great line. That's a great line in the movie. <laughs> Superman, my dad. My dad, by the way, of course, Rabbi Emeritus, was he was at the men's breakfast this past week. And so Baruch Hashem, it was really wonderful to have him there. He's our Emeritus Rabbi, the founding rabbi of the congregation. It was really good to see him at the men's breakfast. And a lot of the guys kind of rallied around him, gathered around him, gave him big hugs and uh, it was just so good to see him. It was the first breakfast he's been to literally in years here at Bethlehem. And so many were just thrilled to see him. He's doing well. He's doing well, given the situation that he's in. Uh, as you all know, he's probably uh, watching. And so uh, we love him. But it's interesting to know, and it's interesting to think about and to contemplate. And as I reflect upon it, and others and others who know him and uh, and and know or knew my my late uh, mom Mistadi that that everything that is Beth Hallel, the Lord effectively used Rabbi E and Misdadi to build. Uh, it's interesting because yeah we have a large congregation between Friday and Saturday and a lot of people come on show. It's a blessing. A lot of people watch it online. It's wonderful, but yeah, you know, the building you're in, the Lord used Rabbi Ian Mistadi, the community center next door, Rabbi Ian Mistadi. The Lord really used them to, to build this. I'm standing on shoulders, you understand. And I remember well how frequently 
they would reflect on how unlikely it was that God would use them. I mean, they would frequently reflect how just shocking it was. My dad, of course, uh, Rabbi E, when, when he used to speak, he, he spoke for many decades from this bima. And I remember, and many of you will remember when he used to speak, he used to say, hey, listen, I don't know why the God chose me and my wife, uh, Dottie, he would say. And, and he used to say he, he was a secular Jewish man, and he and my mom were living a very secular Jewish lifestyle. And, uh, and by that, what do I mean? I'm talking about, hey, listen, uh, two packs of cigarettes a day, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's a miracle he's still alive, isn't it? <laughs> it's only the grace of God, right? Two, two packs of cigarettes a day, a, a bar of, of hard liquor, a profane mouth, uh, a very worldly mindset. This was not this was not a couple that you would have intuitively said, "Oh, of course, these are the ones that God will use." <laughs> Just not what you would expect. Uh, you know, Ben, you know, you remember my, I mean, it's not intuitive at all. And 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 honestly, this is what Rabbi Ian Misdati came from as well. Uh, my, my dad's dad, my grandfather, who passed away before I was born, but he came from the old country. Uh, and, uh, and after the pogroms and everything, uh, made his way to the United States. And, uh, and it was tough life, and persecution was heavy, and he was, a, a, shall we say, an entrepreneur in Miami, uh, and with the nightclubs and things he owned. And, uh, and, and I only own—this just kind of tells you the background here—I personally only own two things that were passed down from my grandfather. Only two things that made it to me from my grandfather. In the whole world, there are just two things. You know, he was fr from Miami and uh, there, uh, my Jewish grandfather, my dad's side. The two things that I own that are passed down from him are his fishing hat and his brass knuckles. <laughs> hey, hey, I mean... <laughs> That, that tells you a lot, doesn't it? That tells you a lot. That's where my dad came from. God bless him. Okay, so, so to say the very least, these are about the unlikeliest of couples that you could possibly find to bring about God's prophetic movement amongst the Jewish people predicted in the scriptures to the state of Georgia and become what is considered to be inner circle pioneers in the Messianic Jewish movement. It's unbelievable that God would use such as this. Of course, once they found God, they, they studied and they, they got into it and went uh, very much in depth and was retrained and all that. But still, from, from this kind of background to starting a house of worship, <laughs> you know, I mean, come on, it, it doesn't match you wouldn't have matched that up. It's incredibly unlikely. The whole story. I remember when they were older, sometimes they said, Kevin, we, we have no idea why God chose us. He, they said, maybe because we didn't know what we were doing and getting into. <laughs> and, and, but we were just willing. 
They were willing. How interesting that is. First Samuel chapter 16. We're going to look at some scripture today. We're going to examine some things that are going to be, I think you'll find very interesting. First Samuel chapter 16 in the Tanakh, in the traditional Hebrew scriptures, the Old Covenant. First Samuel chapter, chapter 16, we pick up the account where Melech Shaul, King Saul, had disobeyed God and had betrayed the Lord one too many times. King Saul, the first king of the United Monarchy, of course, of Israel, Judah, together, the kingdom of Israel. Uh, and King Saul had disobeyed God one too many times, and God told the prophet Samuel, okay, it's time. This guy's getting the boot. He's out. King Saul's out. I'm going to be replacing King Saul. But with who? Who was going to be replacing King Saul? You see, that was the big question. And God told Samuel, Samuel was the prophet, of course, the prophet Shmuel. Samuel, you're, you're familiar with him. God told Samuel to go to Jesse in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, by the way, it means house of bread, just like Beth Hallel is house of praise. So Bethlehem, uh, and that one of Jesse's sons would be the next king. So that's what God told the prophet Samuel. This is all in the Tanakh. We read about it. That go to Jesse, one of his sons is going to be the next king. Which one? God said, I'll show you when you get there. Okay, so Samuel goes and he got Jesse. Samuel got Jesse and his sons together. He said, Jesse, bring all your sons. Jesse had a lot of sons. Bring all your sons back in the day. You understand? Okay, bring all your sons. Line them up here. I want to see which one of them is going to be the next king of Israel? Because Saul is going to, be, going to be on his way out. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6 says this. Upon their arrival, he being Samuel, Samuel saw Eliav, one of the sons of Jesse, and thought, whew, Samuel thought, surely Adonai's anointed one is before him. In other words, this is the guy. Oh, man, look at this dude. Man, that guy looks like a king. He just oozes king. He sweats king. Look at this guy, man. If I've ever seen a king, it looks like this dude. That's what Samuel was thinking in his head. But Adonai said to Samuel, verse 7, Adonai said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have already refused him. For he does not see, meaning he being God, for God does not see a man as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but Adonai looks into the heart. Deep. Okay, so there was Shmuel looking at the, at the sons of Jesse, and he thought, man, this has got to be the one. Look at this guy. He's got to be the king. And God says, no, 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 Samuel, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the outward appearance. God's not looking at the outward appearance. He's looking at the heart. He's not the one. I rejected him as king. That's not the one. Go to the next one. And so what happens? Of course, uh, time goes on, and, uh, and he says, what about this one? No, that's not the one. That's not the one. He's going through all the sons. We know that the, God, the one that God wanted happened to be the youngest one. The youngest one. The smallest one, the one that was so unlikely to be chosen 
that Jesse did not even bring him to the meeting. Think about that for a second. So Samuel said, hey, Jesse, bring all your sons because I got something, something's going to happen here and one of them's going to be the next king. And so Jesse brings all his sons except one, except David, right? David, he left David in the field to tend the flock while his impressive brothers were paraded before the prophet. So, so the, the youngest one, little old Dave, they left out in the field. So Dave's, you know, listen, Dave, take care of the flock. Your older brother's got some business to take care of with Shmuel, Samuel the prophet. And so you just watch the sheep here. We got to get some stuff done. And Dave's like, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, it was a bad impression. I'm sorry, David. I meet David in heaven. You meet David in heaven. He's going to be like, really? Really? That's that's your impression of me? I mean, uh, <laughs> okay, fair, fair enough, friends. We can't go by appearance. We can't assume that God is only going to use the most eloquent among us. It isn't only the ones that seem to have it all together that God uses. Let me put it a different way. Don't think that God can't use you. Of course, as it turned out, David was the greatest king in all of Israel's history. Eventually, they brought David out, and immediately Samuel knew this is the one. This is God's anointed. This is the one poured oil on top of his head, anointed him to be the future king of Israel. Wow. Joshua, please, chapter 2. Yehoshua in the Tanakh, Joshua, chapter 2. So interesting. <clears throat> There's a refrain here I want you to start grasping and start digesting into your own spirit. The children of Israel had finally crossed the Jordan River. So I'm kind of going back in time from King David's time. This is right after the Exodus, right after the, the ten plagues and let my people go with Moses. And, and they, they got out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. They went to Mount Sinai on Shavuot. They got the, the commandments, but yet they were disobedient and, and they didn't go right into the land and they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Okay, that's the basic history. And so finally, they were getting to go into the land of Israel, the land, the promised land, you know, go into the promised lands. And so they had finally crossed the Jordan River. But if you know Israel, ironically, uh, even today, uh, when you cross the, the, the Jordan River uh, right there in between the Kinneret and the, the Dead Sea, you, you see even today, there's a city right there. There's a city just a little bit past the Jordan River. It's, it's of course, the the city of Jericho. So Moses had died by this time. Joshua took the children of Israel into the promised land. But Jericho back then was a walled city. And I'm talking about big walls, walls so, so thick that you could do a chariot on top of the wall 
Okay, so this was a thick wall. This wasn't just like a little bitty, you know, cinder block. This was a really thick wall, right? So much so that, that you could take a chariot and race it on top of the, of the, of the wall. This is the, the walled city of Jericho, right? And, and so they said, what are we going to do? This is a fortress. How are we going to conquer Jericho? Jericho is so big. What are we going to do, uh, boys? Uh, and so they said, well, let's send a couple spies. So Joshua sent a couple spies into Jericho to kind of scout it out to see how are we going to capture the city of Jericho? What are we going to do? So they sent two spies in to see what they were up against. And while they were there inside Jericho, they were very nearly caught, but they sought refuge in a very unlikely place. Very unlikely place. So if you will... You know, listen, all the, the young people here who are visiting, I don't recommend this. <laughs> if you know the passage, you'll understand why. Okay, but but the two spies, when they came and they were and they were you know trying to hide, so they so they found some refuge in that in the house in the home of Rahav Rahab the prostitute. Hmm. Joshua chapter two, verse two says this. Let's hear the story. The king of Jericho was told, some men from B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent word to Rahav, Rahab, saying, <laughs> the king of Jericho said to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you, who entered your house, for they have come to spy out all the land. But the woman took the two men and hid them and said, oh yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. So when it was time to shut the gate at dark, the men went out and I don't know where they went. Pursue them quickly for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax that she had spread out on the roof. Wow. Y'all, it's interesting because this seems kind of pedestrian. Friends, this was a life or death decision that, that Rahav made. In fact, in fact, it relates some to today because uh, uh, just, just this week I heard about uh, Israel giving some uh, permanent residency to, uh, to one of the uh, Arab folks who had rescued some Israeli soldiers on October 7th. But you're putting your life at risk when you do something like that. Listen, she was a citizen of Jericho, and the king obviously knew of her. I wonder why. Uh, and uh, in, in her house. Okay, and so he, he got reports that, hey, the spies went to Rahab's joint. Okay, and so he's told Rahab, bring them out. Man, we got to get them. We're going we gonna to do in these, these, these Israeli spies. And she said, nope, you know, they were here, but they left. They took off. If you run, you might catch them. But she had hit them up on a roof. Friends, Rehav makes an unbelievably brave decision and hides the spies. This is a great risk of her life. Best you believe if they search and they find the spies in Rahab's place, Rahab and her household are all dead. They, they're going to kill Rahab. There's just no doubt about it. You know, so, so here's this moment where Rahab has this moment of decision. What is she going to do? 
She knows she can get them in trouble. And listen, what's the risk to her? I mean, it should be declared a hero in Jericho and from the king of Jericho if she says, yeah, they're upstairs on the roof under the flax. Go get them. She had this decision, but she did not make that decision. Verse 8, Joshua 2, verse 8. Let's hear the, the account. It says, now before they, they laid down, she came up to them on the roof after she had saved their lives. And she said to the men, I know that Adonai has given you the land. Dread of you has fallen on us, and on all the inhabitants of the land are melting in fear before you. Wow, it's visceral. For we have heard how Adonai dried up the water of the Sea of Reeds before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, to Sehon and Og, who you utterly destroyed. When we heard about it, our hearts melted, and no spirit remained anymore in anyone because of you. For, here we go, listen carefully, for Adonai, your God, he is God. In heaven above and on earth beneath. So now please swear to me by Adonai, since I've dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's house. Give me a true sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them, and save our lives from death. Wow. Man, what a what a what a moment. Verse 14, the men said to her, our life for yours. If you don't report this business of ours, then it will be when Adonai gives us the land that we will deal kindly and loyalty with you. Man, our friends, what a moment. Hollywood couldn't have made any more dramatic a moment than this moment between Rahab and the two spies who were residing in her home. What a moment. What a moment where she's like, hey, guys, listen, I'm telling you, I know what's going on here, and, and, and everybody in Jericho's freaking out. We've heard what, what God is, what's happening with you. So she helps them escape, and, and eventually they do escape, and her house is actually part of the, the giant wall, so she has a window that leads out of the city from her home. She helps them escape, and and sure enough, what happens? You know the story when, is, when the Israelites conquer the city, and they do conquer the city, of course. You all know that. You've sung the song, Joshua at the Battle of Jericho, Jericho. Okay. Uh, <laughs> when, when the Israelites conquer the city of Jericho, Rahab, Rahab is saved. It's a powerful story and a powerful word but I'd like to point out something that oftentimes gets overlooked in the story. I want us to examine something very carefully. Because it's a powerful enough story that Rahab's courage and faith won her life. I mean, that's, that's impressive enough to start with. It saved her life because of the decision she made. She made the decision Okay, I'm going to hide these spies. I'm going to hide these Israeli spies. Y'all, this is a moment. It's a life or death moment. What does she choose in that moment? We have moments, y'all. 
And you don't know when they're going to come always. Okay, it's impressive enough that she had the courage to make that decision to save the Israelite spies, and it saved her life. It's incredibly impressive. But did you notice, and this is confirmed later in Joshua chapter 6, when Joshua led the children of Israel to take Jericho, that it wasn't actually just Rahab that was saved through her actions. Nope, as she said, as she asked for in Joshua 2, and as happened in Joshua chapter 6, we, we know exactly what happened. It was not just Rahab. It was Rahab's mother. It was Rahab's father. It was Rahab's brothers. It was Rahab's sisters. And it was all of their families as well. They were all saved. They were all saved. Now, I want to stop a minute and let's think about this and let's talk about this for just a second and let's contemplate this. Do you recall Rahav's profession? <laughs> it's a very old one, okay? <laughs> she was a harlot. She was a prostitute. Listen, friends, <laughs> even in those days, that occupation was not looked upon favorably. Well, I, can, I can hear her parents. <laughs> I mean, let's talk turkey here, right? I can hear, hear her parents talking. Oh, yes, when they're talking to other people. Oh, yes, we have five children. Yeah, a doctor, an attorney, an accountant, a business owner, and, and Rahab. Right? And, and, and her siblings. Oh, oh, what, what does your sister do for a living? Um, uh, hospitality. <laughs> so you'd have to imagine that Rahab was basically the black sheep of the family. She would have been the one that other family members were embarrassed by. I'm not going to ask if, if you have a family member that you're embarrassed by, okay? But, but for sure, Rahab was, right? Rahab was the family member that everybody was like, okay, well, yeah, yeah, we've got a lot of wonderful people in the family, all the siblings and stuff, and hmm, there is her. Uh, some embarrassment there. Rahab, listen, Rahab was the one who brought shame to the family. It's ironic, isn't it? It's ironic. God didn't merely save this woman's life, but he so turned around the situation that through her, and her alone, her entire family was also saved. Because, if I could put it this way, when Rahab got saved, she got saved. Listen again carefully to her declaration of faith. 
Listen to the declaration of faith that she said. You, you see if this sounds like somebody who's professing God. She said, Adonai, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Nothing subtle there. She, she found God. So, so some, some might say, she got religion. <laughs> she changed her wicked ways in a moment. And that would not be inaccurate to say. Here in this moment of decision, this person who had brought great shame onto the family, who was in a profession that nobody in here or watching online would, say, would be proud to like say, this is what somebody in my family does. None of you, none of us. Incredible shame. But what happened? She came to faith. And it saved her whole family. Wow. Beloved, if you have faith, God can use you for much more than you realize. And you don't even have to be on stage or have thousands of Instagram followers. It can sometimes be through a simple decision to follow God and obey him. Through this, the prostitute saved her entire family. In fact, scriptures tell us that no one else at all was spared in Jericho except the people of her household. And that entire kingdom, nobody else was saved but the people that were in that home when the, when the, when the shofar bl blasted and the walls of Jericho came down. No one else survived in Jericho but people in that house. I'm going to tell you something. In high school, in high school, Rahab was not voted the most likely to succeed. <laughs> no. She was not given that senior superlative. Most likely to succeed. Rahab, no, 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 no that didn't happen. She was not the most eloquent. She was not the most knowledgeable when it came to theology. But through her, this very unlikely vessel, her entire family was saved. Can you imagine what they said to her in the years that followed? I, I bet she was quite celebrated. <laughs> I bet her family, like, and her brothers and sisters and nephews and nieces and grandkids and all, they were probably like, whoa, that's Rahab. That's Rahab. Yeah, man, Rahab. Woo, I love this lady. She's something else, man. She's amazing. She's the matriarch of the family. She's, she loves God and she saved us. I, I can imagine she was much more popular. Absolutely amazing. Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews, Bavakasha. The book of Hebrews. Friends, to be this heroic figure, it doesn't require greatness. It requires faith. Let me say that again. This relates to you. 
To be this heroic figure, it doesn't require greatness. It requires faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, it says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were circled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she welcomed the spies with shalom. See, friends, it was because of her faith. It was because of her faith. She believed when she said, Adonai is God. She wasn't playing. Young people, listen, you're going through training and teaching and learning, and that's wonderful. Don't just say it with your lips. Mean it with your heart, right? Rahab meant it with her heart. Adonai is God. You could tell, tell, even she expressed it, there's a fear of the Lord that was within her. You know, she was like, whoa, the Israelites are coming. They've heard about the miracles. And it's like, you know what? This is real. And she knew it. She felt it in her heart. This is real. And, and, and even though I'm putting my life at risk, and in fact, I'm probably going to die when they find the spies in my house, I'm still going to try to hide them. Why? Because I know who the real God is now. Once you know who the real God is, don't turn your back. Have faith. But you know, faith by itself is nothing unless it's accompanied by works. Some people, religious people, have these faith platitudes and walk around kind of holier than thou and pretending like they have a halo over their head. Hello. Hello. So nice to see you. Be blessed. And they do that symbol, whatever that is you see in the paintings. I don't know. <laughs> no, that, that, that's not what you do. That's not what it's about. It's about putting your faith into action. The book of James, please. James chapter 2. And that's what Rahab did. Is she put her faith into action. The book of Yaakov, the book of Jacob, James chapter 2, verse 25 says this, likewise, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also proved righteous by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Friends, some of you are going to redeem even your family. By this, I mean that some in your family will come to faith in Messiah because of you. But you have to take action. You have to do something. Passivity is not faith. You have to be bold. You have to put your faith into action and not just have it be a, a, a theoretical exercise. But I know that many of you have this view of yourself. I know that many of you have this view of yourself. And it doesn't matter if you're young or old. Many people have this view of themselves as though Others are qualified to do things for God 
but not me. Not me. Others are qualified to do things for God, but not me. I've done too much bad. Or I'm I'm too young. Or I, I don't know all the scripture references. Or I'm too introverted. I'm not the best to share with others about the the truth of a relationship with God. Leave that to my spouse. Leave that to my sister. Leave that to the rabbi. (laughs) Leave that to someone else who's much better than that than I am in so many areas. I want to remind you of something. Beloved, God does not look at the outward appearance. God looks upon the heart. You feel unworthy in some ways? Are you that much worse than Rahab? And there's something really cool that God does in Scripture. We read in Scriptures that Rahab's great, great grandson was none other than King David himself. the one about whom God said, God does not look at the outward appearance, but Adonai looks into the heart. See, do you not see that that there's a consistent theme in scriptures? Don't try to predict who God will use and don't assume that it can't be you. It doesn't have to be something grand. It doesn't have to be something that makes you famous or puts you up on the stage. It's not about that at all. It's about faithfully doing whatever it is that you're called to do and doing it for God with all your might. Being courageous in doing things for God. That's what Rahab did in a moment that changed the future, changed her life and her family's life in one moment of a decision. That's what, that's what my parents did, courageously doing things for God, even though they didn't feel like they were qualified at all. They thought they were the least of people that God might use. But they were willing, and they put their faith into action. We'll conclude with this. This is from Isaiah chapter 53 in the Tanakh and the traditional Hebrew scriptures. Listen to this. There's another in scripture, there's another person in scripture that our Jewish people today often do not perceive as worthy of pursuing. The words of Isaiah here 
the words of Isaiah, the Jewish prophet Isaiah, every synagogue in the whole world in their Tanakh has these very words in it. Every traditional synagogue in the whole world has these exact words in it. In Isaiah, in the prophets. But as you listen to it, many of my Jewish brothers and sisters tend to think that this is a scripture from the New Covenant, but it's not. It's from the, the Jewish, traditional Jewish scriptures. Because here Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah who is to come. And as you listen to it, there's two things I want you to hear. One, it clearly unequivocally, fairly undeniably, paints a picture of Yeshua as the Messiah. But also, I want you to pick up this consistent theme that we've heard from little old David, who was, didn't look like he was supposed to be king. He was a you know, scrawny kid. To Rahav, the, the, the harlot, the, who surely... Is, is not out of central casting as the hero. To my parents who, mm-mm, no man, not them. Here in that a similar theme, Isaiah 53 verse 2, second part of it, talking about the Messiah who's to come, I read, I quote it. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him nor beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Wow. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, struck by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. The chastisement for our shalom, for our peace, was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. So Adonai has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Messiah of the world. Himself, one that others do not expect to save them, but in fact is the Savior of the world. And guess what? <laughs> That's right. Yeshua, it says it very clearly in the book of Matthew, is a direct descendant of Rahab and King David. The title of my message is Unlikeliest Hero. <laughs> Let's bow our heads. I want to ask if you're here today and you haven't committed your life to God, maybe you're here, you're watching online, you've never said a prayer to receive Yeshua as your Messiah. You've never committed your life to God and maybe you've heard about Yeshua, but you've never, never said a prayer to say, yes, I believe he's the Messiah. 
But if that's you and you'd like to say that prayer for the first time, raise your hand. We'll pray together. If you've never, never committed your life to God, but you want to, raise your hand. We'll pray if that's you. Maybe you're watching online, and that might be you. Maybe you've never said that prayer either. Just simply, simply repeat this prayer after me, and God will touch you. Say, dear God, I humble myself before you. I ask Yeshua to come into my heart. I believe he's risen again, sitting at your right hand. Please forgive me my sins. I'm sorry. I'll live for you, Lord, the rest of my days. Thank you, God. You said that prayer for the first time. If you're in this room, please see me after the service. I just want to rejoice with you. And if you're watching online, please send us an email. We want to celebrate with you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And for everybody else here, all the young people we have here today, it doesn't matter your age. God oftentimes chooses the unlikeliest of heroes. Young, young people, you might make the difference that changes somebody's life in school that their life will never, ever be the same because of something you do or say. And you may not even realize. But that's a choice you can make if you're willing. God can use you. God can be, do heroic things through you. God can change you and others around you. I don't care if you're 95 years old in here. 95 years old typically don't get cast in Marvel superhero movies. <laughs> Doesn't make any difference. God can use you. But you don't know my background. You don't know my past. You don't know what happened. You don't know my flaws. You don't know what I did. You don't know. I don't, I, I don't, I don't gotta know any of that stuff. God can use you. Yes, you. If God can use Rahab, he can use you. For that matter, if God could use David, he could use you. Be encouraged. Be uplifted. Be emboldened. Be courageous. Be confident. Have faith. And have the works that accompany the faith. Thank you, God. Lord, we love you with all of our hearts. We bless you today, and thank you for inspiring us through these stories. Thank you for Rahab, Rahab, amazing story. And I thank you for this in Yeshua's name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethlehem.com 
bethhallel.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L dot O-R-G. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and Shalom. Nine, nine, nine.